0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. As we continue on in Leviticus tonight, we're in Leviticus chapter 18. Moses writes to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we read this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, that is, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside, Their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for their nakedness is yours. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, born to your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's blood relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's blood relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are blood relatives. It is lewdness. You shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive to uncover her nakedness. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to molech nor shall you profane the name of the lord uh, excuse me profane the name of your god i am the lord you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is an abomination also you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it it is a perversion Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled, for the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so the land, so that the land will not spew you out, should you defile it, as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Now, this chapter that we've just read gives us a list of immoral relationships into which the Israelites were forbidden to enter. Some of these laws are explicitly repeated in the New Testament. And so uh, the law of verse 22, for example, the law forbidding homosexuality is uh, explicit in the New Testament. Passages such as Romans 1, 26 and 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Timothy 1, 10 make it very clear that homosexuality is sinful. The prohibition of adultery, verse 20, is clearly enunciated in the New Testament as well. And Paul is very clear, 1 Corinthians 5, as we read together at the beginning, that a man may not have his father's wife. And Paul said that that was. An immorality of a type that did not even exist among the Gentiles, at least, didn't exist among some of the Gentiles. It was, as we know, cause for church discipline. The bulk of these laws with respect to immoral relationships, however, in their specific details are not repeated in the New Testament. But that does not mean that these unrepeated commands are not binding Indeed, as I mentioned a while back when we were in Leviticus 15, that I think the, the way in which these sexual laws here in Leviticus 18 are framed suggests that these commandments are not at all ceremonial, which point to the coming of Christ and to his work in some way or another. Rather, if you look at the way these laws are framed by what comes before in verses 2-5 through 5 and what comes after in verses 24-30, through 30, we see that the other nations were judged for these things. These are not laws that are particular to the nation of Israel, These practices are referred to as abominations, on account of which the land spews out the inhabitants of the land who practiced them. Now, When you think about the ceremonial laws, which were binding on the Israelites, we never read that the nations were driven out because they sowed their field with two kinds of seed or because they wore garments that were sowed with two different kinds of material or because they ate rabbits. right? We never read of the nations being expelled from the land because of those violations of the particular ceremonial law given to the nation of Israel, but they were cast out of the land as punishment for their sexual misdeeds. The fact that the other nations are driven out for these things suggests also that these are not simply civil laws that are particular to the commonwealth of Israel. The other nations violated these laws and forfeited their lands, and thus these laws appear to be not simply part of the ceremonial law or not even a particular aspect of the civil law peculiar to Israel, but rather moral law. And so the bulk of our time is actually going to be spent uh, considering verses uh, verses six through eighteen tonight, we had touched on uh, the issue addressed in verse in verse nineteen uh, a few weeks or uh, back when we were in Leviticus chapter fifteen, um, and uh, the the rest of, of that paragraph verses nineteen through twenty three is is pretty clear. We have uh, we have adultery that is forbidden. We have uh, the, in verse 21, the, the giving of offspring to, to Molech, which appears to be infant child sacrifice, that they were actually sacrificing their, their own infants to this false god Molech, that is, is clearly prohibited as a profanation of the Lord your God. And, and just by the way, this sacrificing of infants was uh, was done for, for the purpose of, of prosperity. They thought that their lives would be materially better for sacrificing their infants to Molech, that Molech would bless them because they were sacrificing their children. Now, this is not uh, completely analogous to uh, the way in which offspring are done away with in the modern world, but there are, uh, there are certain analogies to be made in that people think their lives will be better, more prosperous, etc., because they do away with their offspring. And verse 22 Clearly the prohibition against homosexuality continues and abides also verse twenty three bestiality continues and abides as well and so uh, but the bulk of our time though be'll be, we'll be looking at verses six through through eighteen and let's let 's look at what is explicitly stated there verse six gives the the broad and general prohibition that's fleshed out in more detail in verses seven through eighteen. The command of verse six: None of you shall approach any blood relative to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. And and this idea of uncovering nakedness certainly includes sexual intercourse, but it extends even beyond that. One writer, I think, uh, was pointing in a helpful direction when he put it this way: To uncover the nakedness of a woman means much more than to engage in an act of sexual intercourse with her. The improper uncovering that is prohibited is understood as an act by which she is shamefully exposed and publicly seen. She is thereby violated and shamed as a woman. Her nakedness then involves her personal honor as a woman, her sexual identity, modesty, and self-esteem. And so this list of commands in this list uh, following what we have is twelve verses from verse seven down through verse eighteen, in which we have incestuous relationships that are forbidden, and and by extension, then even improper exposure. And as such, since these uh, since these laws include sexual intercourse and improper exposure, they therefore uh, curtail marriage within the bounds. That are uh, that are stated here. Marriage to any one of these relatives is off limits. And uh, so, verse six states this category broadly of a of a blood relative, or perhaps some uh, some translations may render it as close relative. I think. But what then constitutes such a blood relative or such a close relative? Well, we, let's let's we'll march through the text and we'll see. Verse seven. Uh, prohibits a relationship with one's mother. This might seem like a no-brainer, but uh, the old commentators report that this was done among the ancient Persians. Verse 8, prohibits a relationship with one's stepmother. And again, this is the very thing that Paul is adamant about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this was the uh, precisely the, the sin of Reuben, described in Genesis 35, verse 22, and we find in 1 Chronicles 5.1 that this is why Reuben's right as the firstborn was taken away from him and given to the sons of Joseph, namely because he defiled his father's bed. Uh, verse 9 forbids a relationship with one's sister, and the rules there are sufficient to forbid the relationship, whether the sister be a full sister or a half-sister. Verse 10 forbids a relationship with one's Granddaughter, whether it be a son's daughter or a daughter's daughter, makes no difference. Relationship with granddaughter is off limits. Verse 11 appears on the surface to be a reiteration of the law in, in verse 9. Verse 11 says, The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, born to your father, uh, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And so it, at first glance, it, it may appear to be a, a repetition of verse 9, but some have understood verse 11 as perhaps... Uh, forbidding the the marriage of of step siblings or uh, or between siblings who have been adopted into the family and are of no uh, blood relationship, uh, some have taken it uh, to refer to. A situation in which uh, in which one is a is a half sibling by a, a leveret marriage. If you're thinking in terms of uh, the levirate marriage system of the Old Testament, in which a, a man would take his uh, deceased brother's wife if there were no offspring and raise up children to his brothers. Uh, to his brothers, some have have thought that verse 11 may uh, may apply in in that context. And so there's uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity, perhaps, as to what precisely is. Uh, is being got out there, but but certainly uh, certainly either a full or half sister is uh, is off limits per verse nine and per verse eleven as well. Verse twelve forbids a relationship with a paternal aunt, with your father's sister. Verse thirteen, the other side of the family, forbids a relationship with a maternal aunt, mother's sister. Verse fourteen forbids a relationship with father's brother's wife, that is, with an aunt who is not even a blood relative. Verse 15 forbids a relationship with a daughter-in-law. Verse 16 forbids a relationship with a brother's wife. Verse 17 forbids a relationship with both a woman and her daughter or with a woman and her granddaughter. And this law is not merely forbidding a man from having a simultaneous relationship with two women who are thus related. That should be obvious enough. But this law also forbids him from marrying two such women even after the other is dead. And the reason given in this verse is that they are blood relatives. That is, the two women are blood relatives of one another. And thus there is there's something improper with having a relationship with the one of them and then subsequently having a relationship with the other. Verse 18 is generally regarded not as a command against polygamy per se, the Jews never seem to have understood uh, verse 18 as, uh, as a prohibition on polygamy. The Old Testament law seems rather to have tolerated and regulated polygamy rather than outright uh, forbidding it, though we do well to point out that marriage was not that way from the beginning. This is, this is not God's design. God didn't make two wives for Adam in the garden. God made one woman for the one man in the garden. But rather, what verse 18 seems to be getting at is it seems to be directed toward the taking of a second wife expressly for the purpose of being a rival to the first one. In other words, marriage doesn't seem to be going too well, and the husband's looking to irk wife number one, you can just take wife number two to irk her. Now, certainly this law does forbid the marrying of a sister for that purpose, Though it's been supposed, at least uh, at least by one, perhaps by more uh, commentators, that the command is actually broader than this—that it doesn't simply imply necessarily the taking of two sisters, but the taking of two wives—and sister being understood kind of in a broader in a broader sense than than simply one who has the same mother and father. And it seems, again, that the, that the focus here is taking of a second wife for the particular purpose of vexing the first during her lifetime. Now, various interpreters might scruple a little bit about some of the details that I've just given there as we've walked through those 12 verses, but that's the, that's the main thrust of the letter of these laws, to bring in some, some technical terminology in this list of forbidden relationships, there are prohibitions both in regard to what has historically been called consanguinity and in regard to affinity. Consanguinity has to do with people who are blood relatives. You hear the, uh, the word con and sanguine, sanguine meaning blood, con meaning with, and so you, you share common blood, you share a common ancestor relatively closely, that is, Affinity, on the other hand, has to do with a relationship by marriage. And and as we'll we'll see, we'll dig a little bit deeper. Some of the relationships that are forbidden here are not relationships with, with blood relatives. There's no blood relationship at all necessarily between the parties, but there is a relationship by affinity. You're related to someone closely by marriage, and certain specific relationships are ruled as out of bounds. Now, I think our natural tendency, even as Christians, if we're not thinking carefully, could be to suppose that, well, yes, certain consanguineous relationships are out of bounds. We can't marry close-blood relatives. Sure, that makes sense. But we might not think that there is any reason at all why a relationship of affinity, that is, a relationship based on marriage ties, should be prohibited. We might grant that someone ought not to marry their stepmother, but we might not go much beyond that. Right. Just think of, uh, at least in the in the broader culture, one of the one of the recent examples is uh, Hunter Biden. Right. Hunter Biden uh, was was dating for a while his deceased brother's widow, and uh, per our text here in Leviticus eighteen, that's a relationship that is off the table. And and verses fourteen through seventeen are where we see this most closely. And so let's let's look let's look again at, at verses fourteen through seventeen. A man cannot marry, per verse 14, the wife of his father's brother. Again, there's, there's no necessarily uh, any blood tie between the two. But uh, she, uh, is, he, as he is her nephew, is not permitted to marry his aunt. And the same holds true for the father-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship of verse 15. There's no, no blood relationship between the father-in-law and the daughter-in-law. Well, there is a close relationship by marriage. And therefore, this is ruled as out of bounds. Verse 16 is another relationship where there is no blood relationship. A man may not uncover the nakedness of his brother's wife. Again, the, the Hunter Biden situation. And uh, the same is true in verse 17. Verse 17, the, the issue is that, let's say, a man uh, married a, a woman. This woman had a daughter from a previous marriage. His wife died. He can't marry his stepdaughter. And the reason reason is because of the affinity between the two women. The two women were related to one another. And therefore, because of the relationship by marriage, this is ruled as out of bounds. And so as stated, verses 14 through 17 deal with these relationships of affinity. I think we would do well also to recognize that the laws stated here are not exhaustive, nor were they intended to be an exhaustive list of every kind of possible incestuous relationship. We should be thoughtful to to draw out from them by implication other relationships which would be equally incestuous. And let me, let me try to explain why this is the case. Because as stated here, the laws are given from the man's perspective. They refer to relationships which the man would form. But as we reflect upon these laws, I think we need to understand that the corresponding relationships would be off limits for women, and therefore would be off limits to the corresponding men as well. And so for instance, while what is explicitly forbidden in verse 14 is the relationship of a man with his father's brother's wife, his aunt, the man can't marry his aunt, I think implicitly we should also understand that a woman ought not to marry her uncle. If a man uh, can't marry his, his aunt, then correspondingly a woman ought not to be able to marry her uncle. And to, to put it in the terms of, in which the prohibition is framed, just as a man ought not to uncover the nakedness of his father's brother by marrying his father's brother's wife, so also a woman ought not to uncover the nakedness of her mother's sister by marrying her mother's sister's husband. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a corresponding closeness to these relationships. It's kind of the, the mirror image if you will, and my apologies for those who uh, who may lag a little bit behind in, in genealogy. I realize it's a little bit a little bit tricky when you're when you're trying to, to sketch all of these things out. So I understand that. Please bear with me. If you have more questions, we can talk. Uh, we can talk at the end. And uh, similarly, in verse 15, just as a man ought not to marry his daughter-in-law, so also a woman ought not to marry her son-in-law. Right? It's the What what makes the one incestuous equally makes the other incestuous. And also verse 16, just as a man ought not to marry his brother's widow because it is his brother's nakedness, so also a woman ought not to marry her sister's widower because it would be to uncover her sister's nakedness. And so the, the point, again, that I'm, that I'm going for, even though it might be a little bit difficult to audibly follow, is that what is stated here in these laws have parallel implications, kind of mirror image reflections, if you will, that go beyond simply the bare letter of what is stated here. And Christians have historically recognized this, at least they often have. And so uh, there are some rulings and canons from ancient church councils which, which speak to these things. Um, during the uh, 16th century, in, uh, among the Reformed churches in France, there was a, there was a case that was brought before uh, the Reformed National Synod of Vitre in 1583, and the case was asking advice concerning a man who had married his wife's niece, so he had, he had married his niece, and so they, they weren't related by blood, but they were uh, they did share this uh, this tie of affinity. He had married his niece. and uh, the question was proposed whether this marriage should be tolerated. and uh, they had been married for some years, they had had children together, and uh, the, the French Reform National Senate answered that according to verse fourteen. Of Leviticus 18, such a marriage was incestuous and was to be in no wise tolerated and that they not provoke the wrath of God more heavily against them that they ought to separate from one another. They were also counseled that whereas these persons had committed this sin in the time of their ignorance, they advised that they privately confess it to the elders of their church where they should be admonished, counseled, and comforted from the word of God." And so, historically, Christians have, have recognized that there are some some parallel implications beyond what was stated here, and that marriages which fell out of line according to these things were, were not to be tolerated, that these were sinful unions. Sometimes, however, churches have been a little more loose on, on some of these things, and from a, a human point of view, it might almost appear that one of the reasons why James P. Boyce, uh, one of the founders of Southern Seminary, uh, where I attended, was actually a Baptist because the Presbyterians refused to marry his father to his first wife's sisters. And so Kara um, Boyce was, was James P. Boyce's father. Kara Boyce was married to a woman, and this woman, this woman died. Cara Boyce wanted to marry this, younger, uh, this woman's younger sister. So He wanted to marry his sister-in-law, and the Presbyterians said no. The Baptists said yes. I think, think I would have been with the Presbyterians on on that one. Um, but, anyways, that's uh, that's the way that that went down in the early uh, the early nineteenth century. The point is, is that as Christians, we we need to be thoughtful about these things. This is this is not something that we that we often think about. Well, the Bible talks about it, and we need to think about it. We live in a a culture that doesn't like rules, doesn't like any rules. And uh, Carl Truman, in a a recent book, uh, Strange New World, put it this way. He said, "...to consider the transformation in sexual morality that has swept the West since the 1960s as something that involves merely the expansion of the range of legitimate sexual activities and expressions is really to miss the point." For example, the sexual revolution is not simply about the legitimation of homosexuality where previously it was forbidden. Rather, it is about challenging the very nature and legitimacy of sexual codes in themselves. For the sexual revolution, the existence of moral principles indicates that sexual needs are not being met. And in a world where sexual needs are the foundation to identity, that means uh, means identities are being suppressed or denied. The game, therefore, is not to change those principles or merely loosen them, it is to abolish them in their entirety. And so, so certainly with the, uh, the legalization of so-called same-sex marriage, we, uh, we have the, uh, the pushing of, of the boundaries in, in this regard. And yet, for all of that, there are still some rules in society. Despite all the rhetoric that may get thrown around about consenting adults, the state of Maryland still does have rules about who one may and who one may not marry. The state of Maryland prohibits the following unions. Marriage is prohibited in this state between a person and his or her parent, grandparent, child, brother or sister, grandchild, grandparent's spouse, spouse's grandparent, aunt or uncle, step-parent, step-child, spouse's parent, Spouse's grandchild, grandchild's spouse, niece or nephew, child's spouse. Some of those relationships are relationships of consanguinity. Some relationships of those are relationships by affinity. And we should be thankful for those civil laws that are still on the books. Also, adultery is considered a misdemeanor in this state and is punishable by a $10 fine. My guess is that when, when that was enacted, $10 was much more substantial amount than it is now. (laughs) But it's not a bad thing that our state has that kind of a law. As confused as society is about sexuality and marriage, there are still some things that at least the books still recognize as wrong. And I realize that, that Truman's point there about the sexual revolution may be true, that indeed the uh, the time will come when even those prohibitions that are still on the books in this state or other states may be, may be challenged. Indeed, the uh, the relationship of incest has been called uh, the last taboo, and uh, and some uh, some I think would would probably want to to push against the boundaries even in these regards, and. Uh, what I would say is we should be thankful where the law of the land reflects the, the moral principles that we find here, and as we, as we have opportunity, we should do what we can to, uh, to labor that the law of God may be reflected more fully with respect to marriage. One thing this chapter does is that it forces us to grapple with the fact that we are creatures. It forces us to grapple with the fact that we're not in charge That our sexuality is not ours to define and use as we so choose. That's that's the mentality of of the sexual revolution. that, That quote from Carl Truman was describing that the existence of moral principles themselves mean that people have needs that are not being met, therefore the rules need to go away. Leviticus 18 forces us to remember that we are creatures, God has made us in his image that God sets the boundaries for what is acceptable, expression, sexual, and otherwise. And and we may only use our sexuality in ways that are in accordance with the word of God. This is true for all people, and this is especially true for those of us who belong to Christ. And Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. So if you would flip, flip with me there to 1 Corinthians 6. As we see Paul's words and the, the special appeal that he makes uh, to believers in, in this regard, in regard to how they use their bodies. Paul says, "...all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for, for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord." And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised up the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So Paul makes this special appeal to believers that they've been bought with a price Therefore, there's a special obligation on them to, to honor the Lord in the way they use their body. Now, a chapter like Leviticus 18 is a chapter that is law and not gospel. The chapter before us tells us the standard to which we must conform. It tells us the way in which we may live that is pleasing to God. And it also convicts us for any actions or thoughts that have fallen short of the standard that is so set here. We cannot gain eternal life by the law because we're sinful. And maybe you've violated some of the laws in this chapter overtly. Maybe you've violated some of the laws in this chapter in your heart. Maybe not. But if you haven't, you've certainly violated other laws. And James tells us that to break one law is to break all of it. We're all sinners who deserve condemnation, regardless of what specific laws we have broken. But thanks be to God that all sins, those of this chapter or any others, may be forgiven for those who come to Christ in faith, in true repentance, trusting in His sacrifice. Paul speaks to all kinds of sinners there in 1 Corinthians 6. And he, he says uh, those, those wonderful words, verses uh, 6 through 11, if you're still there in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, "...or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Some of you all, Paul says, did that. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There is forgiveness and new life for all kinds of sinners. Paul lists out a list, but those are only, what, 10, 12 sins? I don't know how many he listed in that list. There are all kinds of sins in this world and all kinds of sinners who will be redeemed by Christ because their sins are forgiven. And so we should allow this chapter to remind us that we're creatures, that we don't set the boundaries for ourselves. God sets the boundaries for us, and we should allow a chapter that is law to, obviously, serve as an instruction guide by which to frame our lives and also as a goad to drive us unto Christ, to see our sins, to come to him in repentance and faith. Please pray with me. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to think carefully about your word and the standards which you have set for us. As people who are created in your image, we pray that a, that a chapter like this would be, would be humbling to us. Even if we have not uh, sinned against the, the letter of any of these prohibitions, we ask that, uh, that we be humbled, that we be reminded that our lives are not for us to define as we see fit. Our lives are to bring into humble submission into the way which you have prescribed for us. So Father, we pray that you would help us. Uh, to be those kind of people who humble ourselves before you, who seek to serve you on your terms. And we praise you that you have given to us laws by which we may live, laws which show us what is good and right and true. We pray that we would be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.